Our scripture passage this evening is Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. That can be found on page 1,241 of your pew Bibles. And we will also be reading Lord's Day 19, which can be found on page 220 in your Forms and Prayers book. Before we read, let us ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, give to us great understanding and great strength at this time as we seek to meditate on your word, empower and strengthen us, he who speaks and we who listen, that Holy Spirit, you would be present here to work in our hearts and in our lives and in our own spirits to help us understand our Savior more properly and with great love for him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, so that that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we draw attention to verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now we will be reading Lord's Day 19. Why the next words and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended to heaven there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us as members. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. People of God, there's nothing quite like taking a break or a rest when you're done with work. And especially when it's done with a particularly difficult job, strenuous in some way, whether it was mentally fatiguing or taxing, physically taxing, to be able to sit when you're done and the task is completed and you sort of breathe that sigh and, ah, I'm done. I've rested. 
Now, the Catechism today speaks of rest for the Lord, and as well what that rest means because he's seated on the throne. And so particularly where our Lord has set himself after accomplishing a great feat. Others have described this sort of seating yourself when the task is done as like a lawyer who has, who has had a magnificent argument, has, has, has done everything he could. It is clear that he has won the case. He sits down and says, I rest my case. Or others have considered it like a mother who has been on her feet all day, just going, 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 and, and, and shopping and cooking and changing diapers and doing all these things until finally at the end of the day, the kids are put away and there's rest. When Jesus takes his seat, it means the works of redemption are accomplished. Now, the Catechism actually highlights something broader, something more different, but I wanted to draw attention to the two aspects of the way that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And that's the aspect of a rest, of a completion of work, as well as a continuation of a different type of labor. And we see that in our first point, in Christ's headship. Christ's headship. When Jesus takes his seat, he is the ruler of all. He is the head of the church. And so we confess that he sits at the right hand of God. And he does this, and first, because his work has been accomplished, the Catechism focuses on that headship, on what he has done, and, and, and now reigning, and, and the authority that he has, and what that will mean for us, his people, that he is seated at the right hand of God. But before getting to that, I want to draw attention to that finished work of redemption. Now I want to draw attention to Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 draws attention to the finished priestly work of Christ. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is that completed priestly work of Christ. The endless line of animals going to the temple is done. It's torn. The, the, the curtain is torn asunder. Christ has done what he has come to do. The priestly work has been accomplished. He is the Redeemer. He has taken his seat as high priest. So that's part of his sitting, his, his session at God's right hand. Now we focus on what the catechism goes, and that's his headship. His headship. And here we see this from Ephesians 1. I'm going to read again verses 19 to 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And I draw attention to that because the, the catechism will ask, in essence, what is the benefit of this power to us who believe? What is this immeasurable giving of his power and the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, Ephesians is drawing attention to the fact there's meaning behind Jesus seating himself at the right hand of God to put all things in subjection under his feet, to be the head of the church. 
Christ is the right-hand man, as it were. That's how we understand that still today, that being seated at your right hand is to say, you're my right hand, you're my right-hand man, you're the one who is the dispenser of what I tell and what I say, you're, you're the one who bring about the plan. The headship of Christ is very impactful and meaningful for us. We talked last time about ascension and the importance of the ascension, and this is just that that final piece to the ascension. He not only arose from the dead, not only ascended to the Father, he he is sitting in the throne in power and might. And what does that mean to us? Well, it means that he gives to us supernatural aid. Supernatural aid is is what what is the, the outcome of this. That's our second point. Supernatural aid from the Father himself. This is answer, question and answer 51. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? Why does it matter that he is the head of the church? Why does that matter to you? The Catechism says, First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. You see, the first piece of supernatural aid is spiritual gifts. That's part of that immeasurable outpouring of what the Son has gained for his people. Measurable gifts, spiritual gifts. We own heavenly gifts. They're in our hands. Boys and girls, do you know the fruit of the Spirit? We could sing them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do they come to us from the world? No. They come to us from the Spirit. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Because Jesus is the head of the church, he then sends to his church his Spirit and gives to them spiritual gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is among them. These gifts are foreign to the sinful world. The new heavens have not come fully, but each believer possesses a piece of the new heavens and earth in themselves as a result of the headship of Christ. You see, the headship of Christ is what brings about all these things. What the Catechism describes after that first question and answer of this Lord's Day is a result of the headship, is a result of him being seated in power at God's right hand. There are other spiritual gifts that we gain from this. In fact, the gospel message and those who bring it is a spiritual gift. So what we have now is a spiritual gift. Every time we gather to worship the Lord, we are experiencing these heaven realities and these spiritual gifts the outpouring of the Spirit on the people. This has been occurring throughout the whole Old Testament, but it is in a special way when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost comes on the church and Jesus had before his his ascension breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. It is strange to think that we are these recipients of gifts. The Bible actually even says that you can't even say from the heart, Jesus is Lord, without the outpouring of the Spirit being evident in your life. That's a profession of faith you can't not make were it not for the Spirit and the gift that God has given to you that Jesus has sent to the church. We see other gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 3 and following, that Christ through his Spirit has poured out gifts. He's poured out wisdom, knowledge, strength of faith, answered prayers, the revelation of God, faith, hope, and love. What's also amazing is that these gifts that come from heaven make their way to us through each other as members. 
So we are caught up in this. We're caught up into the blessings of spiritual realities because the gifts given to you, these gifts that God has poured out as a result of his rule and reign, when you use them for others, these are the spiritual gifts that come to each other through the saints. It's for this reason why Romans 12, 9-13 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We bring these spiritual blessings to each other when we exercise the gifts God has given to us, the resources he's given to us. And so the catechism here has then has, has tied these things to his headship seated on the throne itself. In all manner of the ways it comes down to the people, the aid that we need. We are showered in these spiritual and heavenly gifts all the time. That it would be an encouragement to us to be more able to offer thanksgiving, to be more aware of the ways in which we benefit from Jesus, his headship over the church, that he is head. Well, we, we receive something else too, and the Catechism talks about this, and that's supernatural protection. Supernatural protection. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. We are not left alone. You are not left alone. And it's against all enemies, physical and spiritual, the forces of the devil, what afflict you. You are protected. We're not alone in them. Jesus won't call us to bear something that we can't. He won't tempt us beyond our ability, or I should say he won't test us beyond our ability. But with the test, we'll provide a means of escape. He also preserves his church and guards it against the forces that would seek to tear it down, that would seek to attack it. Because he is head of the church. See how it all comes back to this. Why, have we, why do we have supernatural aid and protection? Because Jesus is the head of the church. He's our head. doesn't mean that we will be without enemies or affliction, but that what we face has been sifted through by his power. It's been dissected by Jesus so that what you get has already been tailor-made for what you need. So you're preserved. You have the protection of God over you. And it is against all enemies, sin, death, the devil, temptations, fears, worries. Jesus reigns. And the Spirit protects us even now. This is a result of his sitting at God's right hand. That's why it matters. You know, you might think, why does the Apostles' Creed make so much of this? If you were to write a creed, I'm guessing you wouldn't put into it all these little elements. That he, that he rose, that he ascended, that he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. But, but that, do you see how that's that final clue, that final, that final proof of what Jesus has done? Of what Jesus has accomplished? He is ruler of all. He preserves us. And we also see a judicial comfort. 
This is our third point, a judicial comfort. I want to read the question and answer again. I think it's beautiful. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. People of God, do you see this? That profession? That we can confidently await as judge the one who's, who's born the judgment. And so what kind of confidence does that give us? That gives us all confidence. The judge coming is the one who, who did it for us, who cleansed us. He's our head. He rules on your behalf. He sends spiritual gifts, supernatural aid. He protects you and preserves you. The one who is coming at the end of the ages, at the judgment of God, is one whom has already judged us and found you clean, washed. That's what we await. In my place and remove the whole curse from me, Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation. That's the other end of it. Jesus is for us, his people. We await someone who's coming who won't send us away. The last judgment is frightening. It should be. But the fact that Jesus is sitting by next to the Father gives us the full assurance. Do you see it again, how it all ties back to that? Because Jesus has taken us on himself. And so we can say, not in authority, but in, in standing before God, we are sitting next to the Father. Only Jesus occupies that seat of rule and reign and authority, but because he's there, so are we. And so when the judgment comes and when we're afraid of the judgment, where do we turn? Well, we await the judge who's judged us already, but that's not what an unbeliever has. What do they await? They don't wait a kind face of blessing who looks down on, on you having already cleansed you. They await wrath. Blessing comes from knowing Jesus as our head, from trusting only in him. How does all this comfort me? How does even the thought of the coming judgment comfort us? Because we await him, our advocate, as our judge. Here's another way of getting at it. Sometimes you might get stuck. I do this, idolizing the past. You know what you might do? You might, you might be in a rough time and, and you think back to a time in your life when you were younger and healthier, when you were less stressed, you had less cares and concerns. And you sort of live in this present, and you're just depressed, you're saddened, you don't think you can endure, and you think back, it was better then. It was better back then. 
I succumbed to this, and, and you know what's interesting is you only ever remember the good, right? You only ever think of the, those past days as like they were glorious. And then if you were to go back, it would be, well, you had just as many burdens, but the way you think back, you think, I wish I could be there. I want to give a personal story as to how this Lord's Day itself can be practical, and it happened to me, and I, it happened while I was writing this, so I figured this is a good way of applying it. I was in one of those places, saddened, sort of anxious about things going on, stressed, working on this Lord's Day, and I even had the thought as I was working on this Lord's Day, why does this matter? Does this change anything in my life? And, and when you're in those places, it's sort of like the psalm we read. You think, this doesn't matter. You think God and all his power and his promises, they might as well not even have been given for the amount of, of benefit I'm getting. That's what we think. And, and that's sort of the, what I was thinking. And I was thinking that, you know, my best days in, in that sense, or, or I shouldn't say it that way, I should say you would want those days back, right? Just discontent. And it dawned on me as I was reading about the headship of Christ. Our best days are not behind us. Now that by itself sounds like a pithy little saying that would be in a fortune cookie. Your best days are not behind you. But when you take that and you hitch it up to Jesus Christ, now it has weight. Your burdens, what you're going through, you, you, it, the answer isn't in, in a past life. Nor is it in the, in the future days ahead of you. It's in the rule of Christ. And, and that's the assurance to know the best days are ahead of us. We await them, they're there. But I want to add another point to that application. So that, that's one way in which it helps. And, it, and, and I was starting to think about it and it helped. But it, how can that come and be a help to you right now, too? Well, I was actually here at church, and I was, my, my car was parked right under the, the pavilion there, under the roof, and, and I was walking out. It was the end of a day. And thinking of this, it struck me. I don't know why it's the working of the Holy Spirit in his saints when he, when he takes his word to bear and, and feeds you. I walked outside, and I stopped, and I thought, you know... No matter what happens on this earth, Jesus is my head. That, that the best of days await. And then it was even at that moment that I realized, boy, this is a beautiful day. It was funny to me how it just struck me at that point. And then I felt the wind on my face, and I heard the birds singing, and I leaned against my car, and I was looking out in the field, and the sun was shining, and I thought, this is the truth of this Lord's day where you can stand and find strength and comfort and hope in Jesus, your head, who's coming to get you. He's coming back for you. You await only blessings. You await only the outpouring of a judge who loves you so much, who will cast all of your enemies. And, and, and it isn't just physical, worldly enemies. It's, it's the battles you face. Your anxieties and fears, your temptations and sins, he casts them all away. He destroys them all. 
The knowledge that Christ is coming back does that for us. The supernatural aid he gives to us, that does it for us. His headship does that for us. Because if he wasn't on the throne of heaven, if he wasn't next to the right hand of God, I should have just got in my car and drove away. It didn't matter. But because he is, it does. It matters to your life. Contemplate on these truths. They take seeking. They won't always just kind of what happened to me, smack you upside the head, oh, there, there it is. They don't always do that. You have to dig, you have to read God's word, you have to pray, but they're there. The only way I can describe, and this isn't exclusive to me at that one time in my life, it's not exclusive to me, period. This is what we all experience. We've all had those type of situations and times. And how do we explain that? The only way I can say it is that Christ, through his Holy Spirit, was pouring out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. And by his power, he was defending and preserving me then and all of us. It isn't the magic key. It isn't just use this one time and it's all gone, but this is the truth we repeatedly go back to. And this is, by God's grace and the Spirit's work, a truth you will spend all of your life seeing different sides of, different ways at it. The gospel is quite simple, but it strikes us anew in so many different ways, so many different depths and colors and truths, and we need that every day. This is why it matters that Jesus reigns. This is why we profess he's seated in heaven. Because the wind you feel on your face is his wind. And the birds in the sky are his birds. And the sun that shines is his sun. Or, if it's a bad day, the storms are his storms. The head of the church, your head controls them all, and they will do nothing to you that he hasn't first determined is for your best. That's part of his preservation and aid. And so we can say with the psalmist that we read earlier in the service, Lord, why does it seem at times you departed and yet the true answer is he hasn't? He looks down on us from heaven and is near us every single second. Praise the Lord. Praise him for his reign that will never end. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are astonished at the way your word can take such truths and be implanted deep in us and shape and fashion us. Lord, we thank you that you don't give to us always an easy life. Were we to have an easy life, would the gospel sound so sweet? Were we to have only ever joy and happiness that wasn't worked at or sought after, then what would it be to know of your reign and your coming again? So Lord, we don't ask necessarily for that, but what we do ask is that through whatever you've called us to go, we would praise your great name and we would cling to these truths and that it would be true of each of us that you would be our head that we would have our faith in you, awaiting your return, awaiting as judge the one who's, who's born, who bore the punishment already. 
Lord, we praise your great name. We ask this for no other purpose. We, we say this for no other purpose than to thank you for a showering of innumerable spiritual gifts and aid that we are the beneficiaries of. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.